It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Unfortunately, it looks like I just spit all over my notes when I was doing that. (laughs) There's like spittle going everywhere. (laughs) It's like I'm a true actor now, where you just spit everywhere. You gotta emphasize those words. So now on my note screen, I got just little spittle everywhere. <laughs> it's pretty disgusting. That's lovely. It is. Handmaiden! Handmaiden! She's supposed to come in and wipe this stuff up for us. I mean, because we're such royalty that they got to do that. I don't see anybody coming. Actually, I'm also the handmaiden. Oh! So I do it for myself. All kinds of things for myself. But we're not going to go there today. Thanks for joining us for minute 117 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Not sure if everyone noticed... But last week I tried out a couple of new sound bites I threw together to serve as introductions to our regular segments. The Pirate Word of the Week and Really Bad Eggs. I just put some stuff together. I finally got my act together and said, you know what, I'm going to do this one day. And I made it happen. So you will hear them again this week as well since I'm still deciding if I want to keep them or spruce them up or really what I want to do with that. So I'm trying to walk a thin line of just a little something to put there. A little panache. A quick bit. To sound off our segments, but yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep them or not. What did you think of them? I thought they were pretty good. You just gave me that weird, like, <laughs> ee. You're, the look on your face. It was so long ago, I don't remember. So long ago? It's like last week, for crying out loud. I know. It's really sad. We also plan to work on a few other outros, so I need to channel my, what can I do to Heather that really captures her grog-drinking spirit? So hopefully I'll have something new that we can throw up there, add to our outro Rolodex soon. Keep it spicy. Spicy. Exactly. That way people are entertained and they stick through it going, what is Scott going to do to Heather now? (laughs) How is he going to portray her? You know, that kind of thing. And so that's what the fans want. They want that kind of stuff. The fans are here for me pretending to be this rude person and just to kind of give you that small verbal beat down. So that's why they come here. They oh, come really? for that. Oh, yeah, they do. Huh, they really do enjoy it. I had a Dead Men Tell No Tales thing I was going to yak about too, but I think I'll bump that until tomorrow. And instead, we can just jump to Pirate Word of the Week. So are you ready? Yep. Curse you for breathing, you slack-jawed idiots. It's a Pirate Word of the Week. <laughs> I'm giving her the hand signal to actually start. And what is she doing? She's just like, Looking around, she's twirling, her eyes are glazed over. It's like, come on. Looking at my notes. Looking at your notes, or are you just daydreaming over there? Looking at my notes. Okay. Pirate word of the week. I don't know how many times we gotta do this. Yellow was never a pirate's color. It's used to express a disdain for another show of cowardice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's like swashbuckler like. Yes. Swashbuckly. Well it was actually is that a word? It was actually used in the Christmas. Crimson Pirate. Oh, was it really? Yeah, Captain Valo said it. He says, you've turned your hand 
against your captain's back. Yellow was never a pirate's color. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's descriptive of the pirate lifestyle kind of thing. Exactly. Although, I think in Curse of the Black Pearl, we could probably maybe... Well, I don't even know about that. Maybe there isn't really any yellow pirates here. Because no. even, even the couple of goofball pirates, they're not afraid of fighting or battle no. or anything no. like that. They may dress up in yellow, but yeah. they're... Yeah, so is that the what they're really talking about then? That pirates shouldn't dress in yellow dresses? No. Oh, okay, so it's actually about the bravery thing? Yes. Yeah, then I don't really think we can say that there are any yellow pirates in this particular movie. No, I don't think so. They're all raring to go and... Yeah, even the ones wearing formal dresses. Yep. Up for a fight. Cat fight. I think everybody just went, ooh, a cat fight? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got our attention. How dare you? (laughs) So yeah, I do like that pirate word of the week. I think it's a cool phrase. I think it's, yeah, it's just something that's, uh, I don't know, catches my fancy. Gets my yellow dress all in a tuffle. Of course it does. As for this episode, since there's absolutely no dialogue, we thought we would also just honor the minute and carry out our, say, normal 30-minute discussion and grunts and groans and that kind of stuff. Imagine it like a caveman conversation. In this minute, see, that's more ape. What the hell happened? All of a sudden, it's a gorilla minute. Walk the plank. Damn it. What happened? I could do pirate grunts earlier, and all of a sudden, I'm like chimpanzee action here. Silverback gorillas. Okay, maybe not. I'm not even going to go there anymore. All of a sudden, it just turned into some Zootopia thing going on here. My God. Swear. You know, was it that hard for me to come up with a couple of pirate grunts and, and do that? I guess it was. Apparently, yeah, it was, obviously. Ape. I did. It's like Planet of the Apes in here. I See, that's it. I'm the cause for Planet of the Apes. My genes, they're so far skewed towards chimps and apes that I am the one who ends up uh, giving rise to Planet of the Apes, so, it must be. So you, so you haven't evolved quite as much. How dare you? That's not how the evolution works. <laughs> dare you say that? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to talk to you for the rest of the show. <laughs> can, can you go like this? <laughs> what is going on here? I'm glad you're getting joy out of me being more ape-like than others and i don't really appreciate it (laughs) in the previous minute since we're just moving along the world tug of wig champion and over the top arm wrestler governor swan levies an arm breaking beatdown as a lead up to one hell of a shocking tit for tat or stab for stab moment but the sideshow didn't end there for the grand finale jack and barbosa attempt the first ever perpendicular tandem sword swallowing routine complete with the gold coin rolled across the knuckles just for show. Not to be upstaged and without asking, Barbosa distracts Jack with a golden coin shower to the face. That's fighting dirty. Bad form, Barbosa. Bad form. What's wrong? Glad you had coin in there. <laughs> I don't understand what he's talking about. I have no clue. <laughs> I obviously have something in mind. No. My innocent mind is just giving a recap yeah. of what happened and you're immediately jumping to something. Yeah. I'm not sure really what's going on here. I don't know either. You don't know. You just found it funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I think you have a dirty, dirty mind. No, I do not. Scott's at a loss for words because of his innocence. He just doesn't understand what that is. But Heather, obviously, there's some other behind-the-scenes meaning to that. I'll have to 
Maybe I'll Google that later. Ah! I'll yeah, just go, tell everybody what Google happened. That. How dare you? How dare you? You go ahead. <laughs> that ought to be a pretty sight. Everybody out there can join me, and we can all come back together in the Cursed Crew listeners group and tell what we found about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do that. This is a friendly group out there. No children allowed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Minute 117 begins with Captain Barbosa running after his skeleton, Captain Jack Sparrow. We immediately cut to a close-up of Will Turner who spins around to block Jacoby's sword. Just as quickly, we are back to Barbosa and Jack, the latter who manages to knock Barbosa down and after a few rolls pops back up to resume the duel. The minute ends with Will tangling swords with Clubba and Jacoby, weaving and dodging, ultimately causing the evil duo to stab each other and give chase. In the final second of the minute, we are back to Jack and Barbosa. On guard. So this minute is Fight Club. Wow, are you serious that that's what you came up with? Yeah. Serious? Yeah. That's crazy. You know why? (laughs) Because I already did my little introduction for tomorrow, and now you've spoiled it. How dare you, Easter egg? (laughs) Easter eggs are my thing, and you're putting (laughs) Easter eggs in here? You insane, sane little person. You're the kind of person that has dirty thoughts that we've already established, and now you're putting Easter eggs in here. But yeah. This is the minute of fighting. It's almost like ILM minute of action, we can call it. Industrial yes. Light and Magic, since you didn't really know I got that. It. Oh, I don't think you did. It's a minute of fighting and pursuing a win over evil for all of our characters. We'll all accept Elizabeth in this particular minute, but she does pop up again tomorrow. But for now, we're engaged with Governor Swan is fighting Thing's ancestor in the captain's quarters. Oh. What? Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I... Did I get that? Oh, yeah, I'm glad I stole. That's what happens when you steal from me. Like, didn't we just I go over to tip say, or tap? I wanted to say, I didn't know Thing was going to make an appearance in this movie. It's his ancestor. Or it could be his acting gig. Maybe Thing exactly. is like jumping over. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Thing. Dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Dun-dun-dun-dun. Okay, almost like a Sheldon. I had to complete that. Will is fighting Jacoby and Clubba and Monk. Norrington is fighting Pentel and Rigetti. Gillette and the Dauntless crew are fighting the Cursed crew. And of course, Jack is fighting Barbosa. There's like lots of action. And as we said, there's no dialogue that happens here. So all of this crazy fighting is going on. All of our main characters, except for poor Elizabeth, is engaged in wrapping up their individual stories. This is the climax, the fight sequence. As Heather put, after stealing my notes, the fight club sequence. Fight club. However, the real star of the minute is not... Thing? Skeleton Fight Club or Thing, no. There's no doubt that actually the Star of the Minute is Industrial Light and Magic. It's with their crazy cool quick change special effects that are going on here. Yeah, they kicked ass. Especially in 2003 when they created a game-changing effect that rocked the world with this. That's all I can say about that. That's it? Well, I have more stuff to say about it, but I kind of wanted to leave you on that big cliffhanger note. Like, wow, that's all. He's he's dumbfounded by the quick change special effects. <laughs> Mind you, that's looking through my 2003 glasses. In this minute, we do squeeze that skeleton human changing lemon for all it's worth in this particular minute. In this particular sequence. Do you like that? Oh, yeah. That is some... I don't know what to say. I just like... Sometimes I bow to my own self when I talk about this stuff. In and out of the moonlight, and that effect transports me to a cave and makes a believer out of me that skeletons can sword fight. That they just change from human skeletons. I'm just waiting for myself to become a skeleton when I see that kind of stuff going on. And you're going to sword fight? I may. Depends who's bad-mouthing me 
Not that I want to get in trouble with the listeners, but Heather could be the object of a sword fight. Not the object of, but my counterpartner in a sword fight. My my villain? What are you, a villain? You're like an evildoer, I'm not. right? No. Should I just call you evildoer? No. Sure, improvements exist when viewing through 2017 glasses, though. Things can be smoothed out and tightened up for close-ups and human skeleton integration. However, I can't honestly beat it down on a whole, as those really, those ILM guys are magicians and they nailed it. Yeah. This is the very first time, yeah, we see an effect like this on many different levels. It's not just the skeletons in the machination because they've done that before, but it's this quick change and adding the, the elements to that. I think it's just a spectacular show. And it does show its age. We've talked about some of that, so we're not going to go over that again. But for the distant shots, it still looks really good. Even Barbosa rolls in and out of moonlight and stuff like yeah. that. And it changes. And it's really, really smooth. Yeah. I like it. I That's even watched I it in slow-mo. And what'd you find out? It was... It was, it was good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I was saying... It was awesome. <laughs> whatever. I get the whatever. Yeah. That's what you get. Since I just mentioned... You're just making fun. No. It was uh-huh. communication. Uh-huh. Yeah. Communication skills. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe a touch of making fun. But that's what people are here for. Didn't I establish that already? I can't change my ways. I tried it. It just doesn't work. No, I tried it, it for one it episode. Worse. Made it worse? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because now it's on my mind and I go, now I really need to... Because if I don't hit my quota, then I feel bad about myself. And I go, do I want Heather to feel more bad or do I want myself to feel, feel bad? You don't feel complete? Yeah, I don't feel complete if I don't hit that quota. So I got to throw it in. And plus the quota goes up every week. So it's just going to get progressively worse and worse. (laughs) I do feel a little bit bad for you if I had feelings because I am a robot. But you do not. That's right. It all resets anyways when I plug in at night. So that's okay. Since I just mentioned our brave governor, you know, the whole fighting thing going on. Yeah. The hand, the thing, the one that I stole from Heather. He probably deserves a talking point or two for sure in this particular minute. He successfully battled for the win over the cursed crew to keep his wig. And now he's got this skeleton hand still refusing to admit defeat. What's interesting is the realism Jonathan Price delivers with his acting just after he stuffs that hand in the drawer. He becomes visibly shaken and disturbed. He really sells that post mono mono fight. And that's a literal mono mono fight. <laughs> the realism is not just his acting. But it's about the direction for him to start this breakdown, this emotional breakdown. Yeah, it was just too much for him. Yeah, he just had the fight of his life. For him, that was the fight of his life. <laughs> I mean, it's with a hand. Okay, come on. And he tried to strangle him even after it was just in a hand. Well, and you got to think back that he was also wrestling that other pirate through the glass and the door to get the wig before he broke the right. arm off. So all of that yeah. is part of this fight for his life. Right. I set you up again to say to party, and you didn't do it. You did last Aww. time. There you go again. Just drop the ball. No, no, you can't do that. Now that's party fell. You just disappointed the listeners. Then you try to come back and throw that in. How dare you? That's sad. That is sad. His adrenaline, since we're getting off topic, is wearing off, and the reality is hitting him. He now has this time to reflect and think about what's going on in this gravity of this whole situation. So what happens if the Cursed Crew defeat the military? What happens to Elizabeth? It's all hitting him now. It's really a good moment. It's a brief moment, but it's a really good moment for the governor just to show his acting chops there, if you will. Or just to even show that he sees the gravity of this entire situation. Because you don't see that on anybody else's face here in this particular minute. No, I don't even think in the movie. Yeah. 
He's the only one that really has that big frightening look of this is the reality of what's happening because everybody else is still engaged in this battle for their lives. Right. They don't have time to think about this. He's the one now who's in this cabin just had that. He's the one kind of coming off that high and is thinking, holy geez, these pirates win. You know, Elizabeth could be gone. Everybody, everything that I know could be gone. It could just be toast. Right. So, yeah. But he's not thinking about the flames behind his wig that could actually set him aflame. Yeah, that's true. I mean, come on with the open candles, guys. That are shaking all over the place, coming close to his hair. That would have been funny, though. <laughs> he would have flipped out if that wig caught on fire. Oh, yeah. And then, then if it actually burned, if his wig disintegrates in fire and turns to ash after all that he's been through, and then it catches on fire and it just burns away. Yeah. Could have been an interesting a moment for the movie. <laughs> He's still there, but then the whole symbol. He still would have been proud of it, but he would have lost that, like, treasure. This yeah. is his trophy for winning. He's going to put that one in, like, a case when he gets home, a glass case. <laughs> can marvel at it. What's up with him and Elizabeth in the open flames? Well, it's not him. He's in there. I mean, Gillette's the one on board. I mean, Norrington... Gillette's on the longboat. No, Gillette's not on the longboat. Oh, Gillette's on. Never mind. Norrington is, Norrington. but Norrington left his cabin with those candles lit. <laughs> But I guess Elizabeth was supposed to be in there, so it yeah. was for her. So maybe Elizabeth, Gillette, who's lighting these candles? I don't know. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> the candle boy. Candle fetish going on here for sure. <laughs> Somebody's really looking to have a ship burn down. I'm not sure if anyone out there noticed, but yeah, we do get a stint back on the Dauntless. And lucky for everyone, that means it's time to settle into 18th century shipbuilding. Now we're going to again use the victory for the historical accuracy here. It's the one that inspired the Dauntless. In just a second, I'll wait for everyone to grab their notepads. I said no tablets or laptops. This is paper and pencil time, Scalawags. <laughs> As I recall from the last time I talked Dauntless Facts, was it last week? Last Friday? When was that? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Thursday, Friday. Social media was absolutely a buzz, and the masses were calling it wicked cool, as far as I could remember. That oh, phrase. I've seen that. Not. I'm honored, actually. Yeah. yeah I'm really honored. So today, I can just imagine everyone will be exclaiming this history segment as sweet-ass facts. Seriously, these numbers that I'm going to present are astounding. More clickbait. So yeah, I won't be offended if anybody out there decides to run with the... Away? Oh, How dare you? Seriously. <laughs> these are sweet-ass facts that I'm going to be presenting here. So if they want to have hashtag sweet-ass facts, Pirates of the Caribbean Minute trending... It's a really long hashtag, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is going on over there? If they want that to trend, that's their prerogative. That Seriously. like 10 minutes to type in. This is why I was questioning why I was even going to talk to you for this show. <laughs> the 18th century shipwrights had only simple gear and tools, and the difficulty of moving enormous timbers from where they were felled, for you that's cut down since I, I, knew, you were, I knew you were lagging there. It took them a while to get them to the dockyard in Chatham. And mind you, this is again, no pen stabbing in the studio. This is again using the HMS Victory, the 18th century ship that was built that inspired the Dauntless. So this extensive skilled workforce of about 250 men were required to accomplish all of this work to build this particular ship. The shipwrights needed 100 acres of oak forest, about 6,000 selected mature oak trees found in the Weald Forest of Kent, and Washington? Sussex and England. No, England. Oh, England. <laughs> and I forgot that this was British times of shipbuilding. We're not American ships here. I don't know where you've been. 
The mast, and there were three of them, required so much bulk it took seven trees to make each one. Each tree was combined and built in as one with iron hoops and joined tightly with hundreds of yards of rope. The mast used 27 miles of rigging and carried four acres of canvas for the sails. Two tons of iron and copper nails were needed for the deck. Iron bolts were passed through the timbers and joints with the ends clenched with washers holding the ship together. A ship the size of Victory required more than 26 miles of flax and hemp rope, with the largest rope for the anchors being 19 inches in circumference. And that is just a monster wow. rope. Yeah, that's huge. No wonder it took, what, 100 and some of the people? Or how much did it take to move the anchor? Did I tell you this last time? You said you said it took so. a number. Yeah, I don't know if I... 100 and something people, 150 Did I people? tell you guys that? Or you just read to... through my stuff again? No, he told us. Well, maybe I'll get there. Because I jumped. You jumped ahead? I made you tell me. I made you tell me. Or something like that. I don't remember. Well, I'm not succumbing to your teases right now. So close to four acres of sails were needed, comprising 37 sails with a total sail area of 6,500 square yards. Dundee weavers who manufactured the bolts of cloth for the Navy during this period. Did you say Dundee weavers? Yeah. Like Dundee? Like Those are the people. Crocodile not Dundee? crocodile. Yeah. Good eye, Mike. <laughs> And that's all I'm going to do for my Australian accent today. The Dundee weavers, and those are the people who manufactured the bolts of cloth for the Navy during this period. They spent around 1,200 hours just to stitch the top sails together. Spare sails were also needed, so an additional 23 sails were carried on board. Wow. When the captain gave orders to make sail or unfurl the area of sail to catch more wind or trim sail to reduce the furl of the sail area by rolling it up and then tying the sail down... The crew of the Victory was expected to hear the order, climb the rope rigging ladders to their assigned station, and have full sail in six minutes. 120 plus men were needed to accomplish this task in six minutes. And it was not uncommon for inexperienced sailors to fall to their death from wet ropes and gust of wind. Wow, really? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, and that's that kind of like that song. What, what is it that, uh, can't think of it now. Yeah, that song. It was uh, The Highwayman by The Highwayman. And it was like, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson. Who am I missing? Missing one of them. Merle? Was it Merle Haggard? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, Waylon Jennings. But it has that lyric in there because the whole song is actually pretty cool. If you haven't heard it, you should check it out. Even if you don't like country, we listen to all kinds of stuff here. I mean, literally all kinds of different stuff. But this song is really cool because it talks about kind of the whole idea of reincarnation and this particular person or the spirit comes back in all these different forms from somebody that's way back when as a highwayman and then ends up kind of during the real future and space travel and that kind of stuff. But one of the lyrics or the stanzas in this particular song as I was a sailor, I was born upon the tide and with the sea I did abide. I sailed a schooner around the horn to Mexico I went aloft and furled the mainsail in a blow. And when the yards broke off, they said that I got killed, but I am living still. So that whole kind of thing just really reminds me of that song because there was so there was this was a big issue at the time of people falling off those things. And these things were so tall. It's crazy. Yeah. You, got, you can't be scared of heights to be doing this kind of stuff and climbing around on that. And we may see in subsequent movies coming up, people actually sword fighting on those things. Yikes. Yeah. Seriously? What do you mean, seriously? You're the co-host of Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> Minute, and you're saying seriously? I thought, you meant, I thought never mind. Never oh, mind. Never mind. Just get rid of that. I don't think we can ever forget that. I misunderstood. You misunderstood. That's yeah. what she says. Yeah. 
I was thinking something else. Nobody knows what the hell you were thinking. You got that right. The victory, getting back to the history, because that's what everybody's clamoring for, carried seven acres of various sizes. The two main anchors were used for holding the ship in deep water. The larger and heaviest of the two, weighing four tons, was always rigged on the starboard or right-hand side of the ship due to prevailing winds found in the northern hemisphere. It was the heaviest work on board to raise the anchor. And at the center of the ship were two capstans connected vertically. All hands helped in this being the most difficult job on board for sailors and marines alike. The capstan was a big winch with 12 heavy wood bars made long enough for six men to stand side by side and walk the capstan, pushing against the bars to raise the anchor. Around 144 men were needed to raise the largest anchor. The huge anchor cable made of hemp was even very heavy, especially when wet. You can imagine a 19-inch circumference, uh-huh. and when it's soaked with water, this thing was just brutal. That's why it needed all these men to kind of do Rosie the Donkey style to turn this thing and bring that anchor up. The capstan, that was a thing that um, Elizabeth... That's right. With the pirates, she kind of got stuck in the middle of it as That's they're right. going around in circles. Exactly. Okay. That is it. And on that note, that concludes sweet-ass maritime facts. Arr! That's it? What do you mean that's it? I don't know. I expected more. I can't go too much. We got to keep the audience engaged. Okay. Plus, if we went any further, then I'd be forced to sing Highwaymen to everybody <laughs> and go through the whole song. And not everybody wants that. Most everybody wants that. Not everybody. So I'm just going to let that go. And you can hear that rendition on my new album that'll be coming out, Scott Sings. And that's all it's titled because that's all that's needed. It shouldn't be Scott Makes Your Ear Bleed. How dare you? You know, seriously. What is this? Beat up on Scott Day? I'm just sitting here all innocent like. Uh-huh. You are dirty like minded. Always. You're beating me up. It's just ridiculous. So yeah, that's enough facts for the day. But I thought that there were some really interesting kind of cool numbers in there from six thousand trees to 144 men, four tons. It's just crazy stuff yeah. that was going on for this ship. And so I'll get back to the movie, the actual movie with Will Turner. And as much as I hate to do this after just Charging everyone's batteries with some water cooler facts about 18th century shipbuilding and sailing vessels. Things that you guys will just talk about at work tomorrow. You'll be like, oh, I will. You know what I heard? Yeah. We should all demonstrate the capstan at work. And then you guys are all going to be at work rolling around a capstan. Then everybody will wonder what you're doing in the middle of the room. And you say, yeah, we're raising the anchor. (laughs) But really, as much as I hate to do this after you guys have just been charged with your batteries and the excitement level of history, sweet ass facts. I have to bring that high to a screeching halt by pointing out some awkwardness in this minute. And that's resident Foley artist Heather. That's when Will is fighting Clubba and Jacoby. Most of the sequences and choreography is rather spot on and crazy good. I did start things off by saying the star of the minute was the quick change special effects. And the matchimation techniques and all that stuff that were employed in this minute. But with that is something that is not quite as seamless. Because of how they film the live action and animation skeletons. Or better said, film live action than nothing, than Cursed Crew, than Will just by himself. The coming together did produce a bit of a green screen effect, if we can call it that. Not that there was actually a green or blue screen used. It just comes off as a bit of Will is acting and no one else is there besides himself. I thought he was just dancing around the two. Yeah, it kind of looked like that. Because <laughs> it doesn't quite connect right. If you pass through quickly, it can work. But when scrutinizing it and... Really looking at the minute over and over again, it starts to stand out and become rather noticeable that he's kind of going through some of these motions and those skeleton guys weren't there in the first place. Yeah, he was like dodging blows and... Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't fit right for me when I really started to look at it because it was a little bit that they put that in there because he had to do that stuff after the fact. Right. 
And so Wait, just, just by himself, just by himself so that they could then do the animation and yeah. the skeletons. And so it didn't quite fit for that particular moment. But all in all, the fighting and the effects, I think, are incredible. Yeah. But I did want to point that out. It does look a little awkward. It didn't say it looks bad. It just looks a little awkward. Like, okay, I don't know if I really buy that. That's all I got for minute 17. Are you all good? Or did you want to throw something out at the last minute and discombobulate <laughs> the ending of the show? I'm all good today. Well, hallelujah. Unless you want to put, want me to put some grunts in there. We're not putting, like, how dare you bring up ape again? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I thought we were past that. I thought we became friends again. And then you go and gorilla me like that? I just said grunts. <laughs> I knew exactly what you meant. We'll be back tomorrow with minute 118 of The Curse of the Planet of the Apes on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Let's get, <laughs> get Scott a banana. Seriously. I sailed a schooner around the horn of Mexico. Heather! Heather! Climey, she always disappears right after the show. Get me my grog, she says. Probably at the Faithful Bride Tavern. Again. Heather, are you in there? Bring me my grog, you scurvy barkeep. Mother's love. What are you doing in here? You always take off before telling everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. So get on with it, Savvy! I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. That means no. I know what it means. It means you're getting another rum, and I'm thanking the listeners. Thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might feature your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. Now get out of here, you filthy bilge rats. (laughs) 